Well, good evening. Welcome to First Baptist. Thank you for uh, braving the rain tonight. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can open it up. If you don't have one, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We are going to be in John chapter 9 this evening. John chapter 9. Uh, Jonathan asked me what my text was earlier this week, and I told him uh, the whole chapter of John chapter 9. And he said, the whole chapter. And I said, yes, all 41 verses. So uh, the ushers have locked the doors. We're here till we're done. Uh, no, we should, we should be fine. But hey, uh, thank you for being here. It is my honor to uh, preach God's Word to you. If you don't know who I am, I'm the youth pastor here at First Baptist. And so uh, I'm excited to uh, be able to preach God's Word with you this evening. We have been making our way through the last several months looking at the seven signs of the Messiah in John's Gospel. And we're getting towards the end of that. And uh, we are getting down to the sixth sign. We've got one more to go. And so each sign, as we have been looking at these, have been pointing us to the true identity of Jesus Christ. It's been pointing us to uh, the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the promised Messiah. And so, as previously mentioned in the sermons before, John records for us the purpose of his book in John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. And he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. And so John gives us the purpose of his gospel, and really the purpose of these signs are the same, is that we would look to them and that we would see the signs are not just something pointing to themselves, but they're pointing to something greater, and namely they're pointing towards Christ. They're pointing us to belief in Christ, and through belief in Christ, he is pointing us to life in His name. And so as we uh, gather together and look at this large portion of chapter 9 this evening, I want to divide it up into five main uh, sections for us to look at. We always tell Hatcher when he's eating something, take little bitty bites, and it makes it easier to get down. And so we're going to do that as well. We're going to break it up into five main sections of text and look at what is going on in those texts and then figure out an application from that as well. And so the five main sections that we're looking at this evening are broken up by this. And verses 1 to 12 we're going to see the gift of physical sight. We're going to see the sign being performed that Jesus gives this man who is born uh, blind, He gives him physical sight. And then secondly, in verses 13 to 17, we're going to see the Pharisees questioning the healed man. So they question what Jesus has done in this man's life. And then in verses 18 to 23, they're not satisfied with the answer that the healed man gives them, so they then turn to the healed man's Parents, and they begin to question the parents of the healed man. Then in verses 24 to 34, not satisfied again, as we will see, they go back to the healed man, the blind man, and they ask him more questions about Jesus and what has taken place. And then fifthly, we will see in verses 35 to 41, we're going to see the gift of spiritual sight, that Jesus does not only provide a physical sign here, but a spiritual one as well, as this man is saved through the grace of of God. And so let's pray as we open up this evening. Father, we are thankful as a church to be able to gather together and to study your word. God, so often we take that for granted, and so often we participate in worship with each other, not realizing the gift and the blessing it is to spend time with one another in fellowship, to, to sing praises to your name, and to study the word, to study the gospel. And so, God, tonight we pray that you would speak through me, that you would shine light on the message that John has recorded for us. 
And God, that we would not only hear these truths, but we would apply them to our lives. God, that we would leave here a changed people, that our church would be transformed by the words of John's gospel, and that our lives would be transformed by the words of John's gospel. And God, that as we look to those, that you will work a mighty work in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, last time I was with you looking at the fifth sign of the Messiah, I told you a story about hunting with my dad and going over a bridge and how it scared me and how oftentimes we look at things in our lives and we get focused on them and we become fearful of them. And uh, as many of you know already, I grew up hunting and I wasn't uh, particularly great at it, but I did participate in it, in it. And if nothing else, rather than getting deer, I at least got many uh, life stories and illustrations about the spiritual life as well from that. I have another story for you this evening. I went hunting with my grandfather, Don, who's usually here, and uh, he took me in high school to hunt on some land in Wilkinson County, just right up the road. And I was in high school and I'd been going hunting for all my life, and so I kind of knew what to do and, and how to hunt and where to go. And so uh, if you've never been hunting, there's a couple of things that you need. There's a checklist. You can write these down if you ever decide to go hunting. The first thing that you need to take with you is camouflage. So you don't want to stick out. You, want, you don't want to be seen. You want to hide from the animals so that you can surprise them. The second thing that you need is a, a gun and ammunition, or some people uh, like to hunt with a bow. So you pick one of those two and take those with you uh, because you need something to kill the animal in order that you can uh, bring it home back with you. Another thing that you need is a flashlight. It gets dark in the woods, and if you're like me, you might be a little bit scared of the dark, and so a good thing to have is a flashlight, and we'll find out when you don't have that, bad things happen. And then the last thing that you need is toilet paper, and I won't go into describing why you would need that, but you can probably gather it yourself. But anyways, in high school, I went hunting with my grandfather, and he dropped me off in the woods, and he said, look, here's your deer stand. Uh, I'm going to drop you off. You go up into the deer stand uh, and sit there until it gets dark or until you see something, and then once it gets completely dark and you cannot see anything around you, then climb down from the deer stand and walk the, the last couple of hundred yards back up to the truck, and we'll leave. And so I climbed up the deer stand and saw nothing but squirrels. And as the time goes by, it gets darker and darker. And it's getting right before dark. And you, you can still see around you, and especially if you have ever been hunting, if you, it, right before it gets dark, you can still look through your scope and you're able to see a good bit of things moving through the woods. And a lot of times that's when you find the deer moving. And so I'm sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And all of a sudden I start seeing something move off in the distance. It looks pretty big and it's coming towards me. And I can tell it doesn't look like a deer, but it's obviously something that's rather large. And so I'm beginning to wonder what it is, and it's moving slowly towards me. And as it's slowly moving towards me, it's getting slowly darker and darker. And so I begin to think about what could this be, and what kind of animal is this? And it's obviously not a deer by the way that it's shaped. And so I begin to think of all the good things it could be, and I begin to think of wolves and bears and lions and tigers and all these different things that could be coming through the woods. And it gets closer and closer to me, and I begin to kind of get a little bit nervous thinking, okay, what am I going to do? Because by the time it gets to the deer stand, it's going to be dark. And so I'm thinking through and I'm like, all right, I've got my bag. I've got my flashlight. So I got in this new flashlight. I've been using it that hunting season. So I, I slowly unzip my bag and I grab my flashlight and I said, I'm, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get it, let it get as close as I think is safe. And then I'm going to flash my light and scream. And then if I need to shoot it, I'll somehow be able to shoot it at the same time I'm doing all those things as well. And so I see it slowly getting up to me, and it's about 20 yards off, and I'm like, all right, that's close enough. And so I grab my flashlight, and I, I'm not shaking. I'm, I'm steady as can be. And I grab my flashlight, and I say, all right, here we go. One, two, three, click. And nothing happens. And I look down at my flashlight, and I click it again, and nothing happens. 
and I start clicking it numerous times and realize my flashlight needs new batteries and that there is no light to shine on whatever beast is coming towards me. And all of a sudden I become scared and I begin to think about what am I going to do in this situation? And so I sit there and I slowly see this thing moving around me. It moves to the back of me and kind of where I'm supposed to head up the trail and it just disappears in the darkness. Well, at this time it's pitch black and I realize my granddad's not going to drive down there and get me. He told me, I'm dropping you off. When it gets dark, you walk back up to the truck. And so I know he's not going to come down looking for me. He's going to wait in the truck till I show up. So I realize there's this dilemma. I have to get out of this stand with this animal that's probably ready to eat me uh, that, that's on the trail that I'm heading toward. And so I look around and I, I find a little bitty key light, I mean, little bitty, and I can barely light up. And so I'm walking through the woods, bent over, shining the light and looking down with my gun in my hand, pointing at anything comes by. And the point of the story is this, that in that situation, when I realized that I didn't have a flashlight, I realized that I was in darkness. The darkness was all around me. And that there were things in that darkness that I didn't want to know that I was there. And, and I wanted to get to the truck as quick as I could. And I realized that I needed a light. I needed something to shine a light in the darkness to show me where I needed to go. To show me what was ahead of me. And what we see in the story this evening is there is this man who is born blind and he knows darkness. That is all he has known. And he knows that he desires and needs light. But then we also see this contrast in the story as well that there's these Pharisees, this, these religious leaders, the, the religious establishment of the day, and they don't realize that they're walking in darkness. They think that they have the light. They think that they are exactly where they need to be. And so we have two contrasting people groups in this, in this story. We have this man who knows his need for the light of the world. He knows that he is physically and spiritually blind. And then we have these other guys who should know that they need the light, who should know that they're walking around in darkness, and yet they don't. And so we have this situation, we have this need, and so let's look at the text this evening as we look to this idea of light and darkness. Verses 1 to 12, the gift of spiritual light. John chapter 9, verse 1 says this, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. This is speaking of Jesus. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night, is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and it washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. 
As we look at this passage, we must look back to the context that is going on. Jesus has just taught the Pharisees and the people of that day that He is the light of the world. In John chapter 8, verse 12, He makes this statement, I am the light of the world. And once again, in chapter 9, He makes the same statement as well. I am the light of the world. I must be doing the works of My Father who sent Me. And so the Pharisees in chapter 8 and chapter 9 and during this time continue to be divided over Jesus' identity. They continue to be divisive over His claims as the promised Messiah and the Son of God and then rejecting Him as that true identity. They can't decide, is this someone truly from God or is this not from God? And so after making these bold claims saying, I am the light of the world, I am the promised Messiah, I am the one you have been looking for, Jesus illustrates that He truly is the light of the world by giving sight to a man who was blind from birth. And so the, the, this miracle takes place to serve really as an illustration for us of fallen mankind. We as sinners are walking around in darkness. We are spiritually blind and we cannot see God as we should. But through the light of Christ, we are granted access to the Father and we are restored our sight. And so we see through this sign that Jesus has the power and authority not only to provide physical healing, but also to provide spiritual healing as well. And so Jesus sees this man and he's getting ready to perform this amazing miracle. But look at what the disciples ask him in verse 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples see this man, and rather thinking about what Jesus could do in his life and the miraculous signs that he's done before, and thinking about maybe this is an opportunity for Jesus to perform a miracle again. Instead, they decide to spark a theological debate. They look to him and they say, look, what what caused this man's blindness? Was it his parents' sin or was it his sin? And so they're trying to figure out here something that we always want to try to figure out probably is, you know, we we live in a world that is evil and bad and broken and sinful. And so how do those things happen to good people in light of a good and perfect God? It is a discussion that needs to happen and it's something that we need to think through. But Jesus is looking for something greater. He says, look, this it's not that this man sinned or his parents sinned. Instead, it's I'm going to use this handicap, this brokenness to glorify me. To glorify the Father. And so although sin can lead to specific consequences, although there are things that if we live in sin, they will lead to destruction and suffering, that's not the case here. Jesus explains that this man's blindness is based on the fact that God wants to use it for His glory. And so legalism is this idea that man can earn God's favor through righteous works. And this is what the disciples are falling into. They're thinking, okay, obviously something went wrong. Somebody's not making the right choices. Somebody's sinning. And so because of that, they're receiving judgment. The reverse of that is legalists will operate in their lives thinking, okay, well, if I live out of my righteousness and I do good works, then God owes me blessings. If I can live on my own in a good way, then God will bless me in my life. And so they assume that his parents have sinned. They assume that this man maybe has sinned, and that is because that is why he is blind. And Jesus says, although birth defects and although diseases are a sign of the world's fallen state, and they are due because of sin in general, it's not that this man's blindness was because of a specific sin. Instead, it's going to be serving as a greater purpose. And the purpose of his blindness is God's glory. 
So Jesus reminds the disciples that he is the light of the world and that he must be doing the works of the Father who sent him. And he is about to perform one of those works. And so he spits on the ground, he grabs some mud, he rubs it together, and he anoints this man's eyes with the mud. And then he gives, them, gives the man a command. He says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. John tells us that Siloam means sent. The significance there is here we have Jesus sending this man to a pool called Siloam, and yet we're looking at the man who was sent by God, Jesus, the Son of God, the sent one of God. And so the man does what Jesus tells him to do. He comes back and he is drastically changed. He has encountered the light of the world. All of his life he has been walking around in darkness. He's never seen the light of day. And he comes back from this pool and he has been given sight. And the neighbors, not surprisingly, are astounded. They can't believe that this miracle has taken place. And so the man keeps telling them that this blind beggar, I am that person that you have seen. I am the guy who has been sitting there blind from birth. And so the neighbors don't know what to do, and so they take him to the Pharisees, getting ready to say, look at this miraculous event that is taking place, and so let's see what the Pharisees respond with. Our second section this evening, the Pharisees question the healed man in verses 13 to 17. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been, bl formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked, again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. And so the neighbors take him to the Pharisees. They take him to the religious establishment. They say, Look, this is that guy that we've been all passing by on the road. He was blind from birth and now he sees. And so we're made aware that Jesus has performed this miracle on the Sabbath, and so the Pharisees are immediately upset because they allow their legalism to get in the way of the miracle that has taken place. The Pharisees, you see, were in, in the habit of adding to the law, and they were adding regulations to the Sabbath, and because Jesus had spit in the mud and mixed, they would have considered that the same as kneading dough, and so that would be considered working. And they say, look, this guy can't be from God because he's breaking the Sabbath. He's working when we should be resting. And so division once again arises and some questions uh, begin to happen, whether this is Jesus from God and others wonder how a man who is a sinner could perform these things. And so they begin to question, who is this Jesus? Who is this individual that has healed you? And so they turn to the healed man. They say, well, well who do you say he is? And he says, first, the man called Jesus had healed him to his neighbors, but now he moves further into his understanding of who Jesus is, and he says, he is a prophet. So the Pharisees are not satisfied with the man's response, and so they decide to interrogate the man's parents. Let's look at verses 18 to 23. It says, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. 
Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. And so it says the Jews, this is another way to refer the Pharise- of the Pharisees. We're speaking to the, the same people here. The, man, the Pharisees, they don't believe the man's testimony. And so they go to this man's parents and they say, all right, testify to us about this man. Two questions for you. One, is this your son who was born blind? And two, since he was born blind, how does he now see? And so the parents affirm, they say, yes, this is our son. He was born blind. But then they allow their fear of the Pharisees to guide their response to the second question. Rather than confirming the miracle, they attempt to conceal it. They say, rather than than saying, yes, this is our son, and yes, we know how he became, uh, gave him the ability to see, instead they try to cover the truth to protect themselves. They say instead of of proclaiming the truth, they, they claim that he is of age, which means he's at least 13 years old, if not older. And they say, they say, look, he's of age. He's a man. Ask him yourself. Don't ask us. And so we see here an issue that many of us have dealt with or will deal with in the future, and that's this. There's this dilemma of speaking the truth of Christ or concealing the truth of Christ. The parents, rather than speaking the truth, it's not said that they knew about the, that he was seeing, but most likely they would have, considering the joy that would have taken place. And so the man's parents' response was driven by fear. They allow their fear of being kicked out of the synagogue to conceal the truth of Christ and the joy of the miraculous event that just took place in their son's life. They say, yes, this is our son, but we really don't want to answer the second question because we realize if we answer and say, yes, it was Jesus that did it, then you're going to kick us out of the synagogue. They begin to fear man over fearing God. And so instead of this, we must stand firm in the faith. We must speak truth when we are called to. And so unsatisfied with their second interrogation, the Pharisees now return to the heel man once again to ask him what happened as well. So look at verses 24 to 34. The Pharisees' questioning of the healed man once again. It says, So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Speaking of Jesus Christ. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to be one of his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered them, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to them. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. 
And so they call this man, they tell him, look, take an oath. This is what they're saying when they say give glory to God. They're saying testify in front of God. Tell us the truth that Jesus is a sinner. So proclaim yourself, your personal testimony, knowing this man. Tell us that he is a sinner. And he tells him, I don't know if he's a sinner, but I do know one thing. And it's a thing that's one of the most beautiful statements in Scripture. It's, I was blind, but now I see. What a testimony. I was blind, but now I see. But yet the Pharisees are still blinded by their self-righteousness. And so they ask the man the same questions once again, hoping that he will give a different response. And somewhat sarcastically, the man tells them, look, I've already told you what happened. And he asks, are you desiring to be Jesus' disciples as well? So look, I I told you once, this is what happened. Why do you want to hear it again? Do Do you want to follow him and be his disciple too? And the Pharisees are outraged and they claim that, no, we don't want to follow him. He's a sinner. We want to follow Moses. We know that Moses gave us the law. And so they're unsure of Jesus' identity, but the healed man uses their own argument against them. In verse 30 to 33, he reveals to them the blindness of their own argument. But sadly, they're so caught up in their legalism and their self-righteousness that they call him a sinner and they cast him out of the synagogue. And so they realize that their argument is not going to work, and so they get frustrated, and rather than than being revealed to the truth and looking to realize that the light of the world is right before them, and this miracle has taken place, they call the man a sinner. They say, how could you, a sinner, teach us? And they cast him out of the synagogue. They say, go away from us. Let's look at verses 35 to 41 now. We see the gift of not only physical sight, but also spiritual sight. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world. That those who do not see me, or those who do not see, may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so Jesus sovereignly finds this man, he's casted out from the synagogue, he's rejected by his people. And he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's referring to himself. Do you believe in the promised Messiah, the Son of God? And so the healed man seeks the truth and he says, tell me who is he so that I may believe in him. And and Jesus says, I am the one that you are looking for. And so in this beautiful act of faith, we see this man progress in his understanding of who Jesus Christ is. In verse 11, he calls Jesus the man. He's not really sure who has healed him. He says, I know the, the man healed me. He told me to go to the pool. He, he put mud on my eyes and I came back seeing. And then he goes to the Pharisees and the Pharisees say, who do you say this man is? And in verse 17, he says, Jesus, he's not just the man, he's a prophet. He begins to understand this is, this is somebody of importance. This is someone from God. And then in verse 33, he acknowledges that Jesus is the one sent from God. He says, okay, I know this man is not a sinner because a sinner would not be able to do these miracles, and so he must be sent from God. 
And then now in verse 38, he proclaims, not only is he sent from God, not only is he a prophet, not only is he a man, but he says he is Lord and God. He understands through the sign that has occurred that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is truly the Son of God. And his response serves as an example to us as well that we are called to claim Jesus as Lord and Savior. That we are called to look through Scripture and to understand that through the Gospel of John that John is pointing us to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He is able to give sight to the blind. And so this man claims Jesus as Lord, and in a rightful response, he immediately worships Him. And so we see this man who was blind now sees, but not only is he granted physical sight and healing, not only is he able to look out and see the people that have been passing him and, and go to the synagogue and to be able to see all the things and see his parents for the first time, not only does he be, is he given physical sight, but he's given spiritual sight and healing as well. Jesus says, I give you my grace. I, I give you spiritual sight. And the man professes Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Now, sadly, in the midst of this great sign, the Pharisees remain blinded by their self-righteousness. They allow their tradition and their false interpretation of God's Word, and they allow their pride to get in the way of seeing the miracle that is taking place right before their eyes. And so they hear what Jesus has said, and they deny their need for sight. They say, we're not walking around in darkness. We're the ones that have the light. We don't know what you're talking about. We're not blind. You are. And so they reject the light of the world for a legalistic religion devoid of Christ that gives them no hope for a future. Charles Spurgeon said this once, and I believe it sheds light on the situation of the Pharisees. He says this, It is not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It is not our weakness that hinders Christ, it is our strength. It is not our darkness that hinders Christ, it is our supposed light that holds back His hand. Spurgeon is saying here, it's not that we're too small or that we're too weak or that we're too dark for God to save us. No, the problem is we think too much of ourselves. We want to do it in our own strength. We want to be too big. We want to suppose that we have light within us when ultimately we don't. That we are walking around like I was in the woods with no flashlight, in the dark, not being able to see what's ahead of us and what's behind us. And yet Jesus comes in, He says, I am the light of the world. I shine light on the darkness. I forgive you of sins. John 3, 17 tells us, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. The sad part for the Pharisees is that God's grace, the Son of God was sent not to condemn us, but to give us life, to bring the light of the world to us. But God's grace uncovers sin, and it points us to our need for the light, And so we realize that the Pharisees, because of their blindness, they don't see their own need. And so because they choose to follow in their own self-righteousness and their own legalism, they choose judgment and condemnation over grace and mercy. And so yes, Jesus came in grace. He sent His Son in order that we might be saved through Him. But as grace uncovers sin, we realize that some choose condemnation and judgment because they will not seek out the light of the world. And so may we as a church this evening see the truth of the gospel. May we see the light of the world and may we acknowledge our need for a Savior. Not just to save us, but to sustain us, to sanctify us in life. 
And may we see Jesus Christ and may we proclaim him as Lord and say as this man, I was blind, but now I see. Lord, I believe. And may we, may we worship the promised Messiah that John teaches us about. May we look to him as the light of the world. And may we not be caught up in legalist understandings of Scripture or our own self-righteousness or think of ourselves too big or too strong or too bright for God to save us. But may we acknowledge our own darkness. May we acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy and say, God, I have nothing to bring, but yet I cling to the cross. I look to you as the light of the world. So may we be like the blind man who comes to Jesus acknowledging our need and not only looking for physical healing, but looking for spiritual healing and realizing that the Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, is able and willing to do that for us. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that you have provided it, the gospel of John, in order that we can look at that scripture and that we can learn more about your son. And God, as we learn more about him, may we apply those truths to our lives. May we look to Jesus, who is the light of the world. And God, may we find light in him. May we acknowledge as a people this evening that we are broken, that we are flawed, that we are dark, that we are without light. And God, apart from you, we cannot receive that light on our own. And so God, we look to you, the light of the world, to shine light on our sin, to give us grace and mercy, to change us from the inside out. God, we also know in Matthew 5 that you call us to be salt and light. And so as you change our hearts inwardly, God, may we live that out in our communities. God, may we be a people that are known for the light of Christ within us. And God, may we be a witness as this blind man was to proclaim that you are Lord and Savior. And may we, may we be able to testify that we were blind, but now we see. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.